Today's episode of the Film Stage Show is brought to you by MUBI, the online streaming cinema. For your free 30-day trial, go to mubi.com slash filmstage. Show the movie review podcast for filmstage.com. As always, I am your host, Brian J. Rowe, and with me today we have Michael Snydell. Hello. Hello. And our special guest, Allison Shoemaker. Hi. Hello. How are you today? I'm well. How are you guys? Doing doing fantastic. <laughs> Super <laughs> good <laughs> to be here on a Memorial Day Monday morning to talk about the tale. Uh, the Sundance hit that just premiered on HBO, uh, written and directed by Jennifer Fox, starring Laura Dern and uh, Elizabeth Debicki, amongst many others. And um, that is that's all we're going to be talking about today. So that's that's a it's fun time getting ready for a real great show. Um, before we get into that, though, uh, the usual stuff: uh, Facebook, the Film Stage Show, uh, Twitter at Film Stage Show. Find us on those. Follow us. Talk to us. Let us know how we're doing. And of course, you can email us podcast at filmstage dot com. Uh, rate and review. Subscribe on iTunes and all that good stuff. Go to patreon dot com slash filmstage show to give us your money so you can get access to our cool Slack channel where you can talk with other people listening to the show as well as us. And uh, entry into raffles and stuff, and help us to produce even more episodes. And of course, we are brought to you by Mubi, the online streaming cinema. Every day, Mubi introduces a new film that you have 30 days to watch. So they have a pretty, uh, like, gorgeously curated selection of 30 films for you to check out at all times. Some of the movies that are available on Mubi are The Little Girl Who Sold the Sun by Jabril Giap Mbete who directed uh, Tuki Buki, which we had an episode about. Not only that, but uh, Andrew Haig's Weekend, or just Weekend. Once again, I'm appending definite articles on things that do not have them. (laughs) Uh, Nostalgia by Andrei Tarkovsky, who did Stalker, which we also talked about. And Following, directed by Christopher Nolan, who may have had one or two movies that we have also talked about. So that is some of the that is just four of the currently thirty films that are available on Mubi. So go check it out. Uh, understand why Mubi is my favorite curated streaming site, and uh, you get a free thirty day trial by going to mubi.com/filmstage. So really, what do you have to lose? Again, that is mubi.com/filmstage. Uh, I think that's about it. Anything else, guys, that you'd like to talk about before we get into our review of The Tale? I don't think so. I'm good. Cool. All right. The Tale is an autobiographical exploration of the memories and life experiences of Jennifer Fox, the (laughs) writer-director, whose mother found a story that she wrote for school when she was 13 that seems to suggest that she was abused as a child by her running coach. Uh, the movie features Laura Dern as the adult Jennifer, and 
Isabel Nelis as her younger self. And um, it is a it is a conversation with the past, shall we say. Anyway, it is on HBO Go and HBO Now for streaming right now. And it premiered on Saturday night. And here is the trailer. The story you're about to see is true. As far as I know. When I was a child, I was obsessed with changing myself. Now I don't even remember who I used to be. Jennifer, sweetheart, I found a story that you wrote in English class. Where'd you find it? What matters is what it says. I've met two very special people. Bill is an excellent coach. Jenny, do you trust me? Mrs. G was the most beautiful woman I had ever met. There are no bad horses, only bad riders. I need to talk about it with someone who was there. Hello, Mrs. G. All right, so that was the trailer for The Tale, which again premiered at Sundance to, I will say, a lot of noise, uh, most of it acclaim, some of it shock and horror, and uh, has now premiered on HBO, where it is available for all to see. So let's talk about what we thought of The Tale. Uh, Allison, as the guest, you have the divine pleasure of telling us your thoughts first and setting the tone for the rest of the episode. Great. Terrific. No <laughs> <laughs> um, well, I, I so I've been reviewing movies since two, enough to crank out a couple of reviews every month for, you know, three odd years. Um, this is the first A I've ever given. Um, and it is the only movie that I've reviewed where I thought I can't ever watch that again. That's not true. I also saw Ron Howard's In the Heart of the Sea. I can't ever watch that again either. Okay. For just, different reasons. We just have to make a note where you and I just have to have a whole episode where we do nothing but talk shit about In the Heart of the Sea. I would love that. My okay. favorite bit is when they're um, when he's using his 3D budget. So a fishmonger chops the head off of a fish and it flies at the audience for no reason. <laughs> That's my favorite. Anyway, um, it's the only A I've ever given. And um, I just don't need to ever see it again. I don't think I'll have to ever see it again. I feel like I'm going to remember this film vividly um, for a really long time. Um, so it's a little confusing for me to talk about. I would never say it was a pleasant experience, but it also wasn't like watching, say, Requiem for a Dream, where I thought, well, that's an experience I don't ever need to have again. That was deeply upsetting. It's more um, subdued than that. Um, I watched it and the whole time was appreciative of Jennifer Fox's direction and obviously the terrific performances, particularly Laura Dern and was really engrossed by the story and the way that it functioned as like a piece of memoir cinema and all of that was really interesting to me and I really cared but I didn't feel like wrecked and then the credits started rolling and I sat there for like two minutes and then just sobbed just sobbed for a while um so I had like a visceral physical reaction to it I didn't really expect um, so the short version is, I think this is an excellent movie and that people should see it and talk about it. Um, and the much longer version is that God, I don't know. Um, 
<laughs> I want to talk to you guys about it. Um, despite the fact that it's Memorial Day morning and I feel like I should be watching cartoons or something. But um, what better way to prime yourself to go out to all those barbecues and have spending time with your <laughs> friends and in honor of all those who, who died and served our country than to wake up early and talk about the tale? Totally. Yep. Um, but I'm very eager to know what you all thought. Um, I haven't had the opportunity to speak to anyone who's seen the film yet. I've, you know, obviously read some of the coverage, but, um, but you know, I don't know that people thought it's Saturday night. What do I want to stay in and do tonight? I know I'm going to watch the tale. It's the first really nice weekend in Chicago all year. Let's watch the tale. So, um, so yeah, so I've been looking forward to this conversation. All right. Well, Michael Snydell, why don't you uh, help us to keep that conversation going? What did you think of the tale? I have a little bit more complicated relationship with this one um, in the sense that I think this is an, an incredibly uh, like an objectively powerful film. Um, I, I think Laura Dern's performance in this in the way that it is um, so unconcerned with like trying to piece together satisfying or logical or like pleasing relationships and the fact that it, it does exist so much in her mind. Uh, I think it's nearly flawless. That said, I have much more complicated feelings about the ways that this deals with um, the present and her talking to other people uh, especially the actor played by Common and um, Ellen Burstein. Uh, and then one thing I want to talk about further, because I'm still unsure about, is uh, I think Brian already mentioned this. Jennifer Fox is a documentarian. Unfortunately, I have not seen her other films. And this does, uh, like The Rider earlier this year, it's, it's another film that is a narrative film with uh, some pretty evident documentarian uh techniques uh speaking directly to the camera um narration and it, it hybridizes those in ways that only a narrative film can and some of those things i like and um other times i thought they were a little overwrought but on on the whole like as an experience uh, I mean, I can't recognize, or excuse me, I can't recommend this enough, but I'm just not sure. It... Uh, can you say that one more time? You can't, uh, you're not sure at what? Sorry, I, I can't, rec as an experience, I can't recommend this enough, but as a film, I can't say that uh, it was a perfect film for me. There, there were some problems I had with it. <laughs> Okay, hold on. Can you can you all hear that? Yeah. Okay, it's it appears to be gone now. <laughs> I think my daughter got a hold of the volume control. <laughs> so suddenly Moana was playing really loudly through the whole house. Um, oh, I, I definitely could not hear Moana. <laughs> okay. <laughs> um, as far as my thoughts on this film, so yeah. I was, uh, my wife and I were one of those crazy groups of people who were like, it's Saturday night. What do we want to do? Oh my God, the tale is coming out tonight. We're going to watch it. Yeah. To the point that like we went on HBO go at like eight o'clock cause we thought it was already out. We didn't realize it was started streaming at 10. 
which so then we stayed up extra long and late in order to watch the tale a movie that we had to watch with a full-on 15 minute intermission because uh it became overwhelming um Mm -hmm. I definitely watched this movie in the same state of nervous agitation that I watched A Quiet Place in because I was just deeply uncomfortable about everything that was happening in this movie. And I was it was like a split because obviously I'm watching Laura Dern as this, you know, older version of this character and she you know, has a job and has like got a fiance and seems to be doing great. But every time it still flashed back to her 13 year old self, I just was like, I, I was, it was legitimately like waiting for a monster to tear her apart. And it was, it was hard. It was very difficult to get through. Um, in that way, I'm curious how it would have played for me in a theater without you know where i wouldn't have had a chance for a brief reprieve by hitting the pause button uh especially uh for my wife who was was deeply moved and troubled by this film and in general i think it's it's extraordinarily well acted i like the kind of formal tone that it takes in terms of giving her the opportunity to in, literally interrogate her memories and I think that Dern and um, and Elise and Debicki and and Ritter and Burston all give like fantastic performances. I'm just, you know, I, I'm kind of with with uh, you, Allison. Like, it's a great movie. I don't, I don't think I ever need to see it again. Um, I don't know what more I could get from it. Uh, you know, when I go to watch a movie again, it's because I want to hear those conversations. I want to experience that emotional journey. And while this one has a very fulfilling sort of journey in it, I just don't want to do it again. It's, I imagine yeah. it's, it's like someone who, I don't know, I would say climbs Mount Everest, but idiots do that more than once in their lifetime all the time. But I feel like, you know, you, you've done it, you, you, you got changed, you got what you needed from it. And I just don't know if I'm going to have to do it again. And I am the type of person who has watched The War Zone by Tim Roth numerous times. But there's something about this one that it's just harder to conceptualize doing that. But it is, I think it's it's definitely worth seeing. And there was a part of me in this, in this, in watching this movie that felt vindicated uh, based on previous conversations that we'd had on this podcast. And it was, it was like, I was hearing my words come out of the voices of all these characters. And it was at least good to know <laughs> that, that there is a world in which people agree with me. Um, and I think that I just, I, there was a lot, of of personal stuff that came into this movie for me. This is one of the few movies that like I had an inordinate amount of trouble coming at from a kind of non-emotional analytical perspective. So you're saying I'm a monster, Brian. I'm saying you and Bill are both <laughs> monsters. Yes. <laughs> Which we don't have to get into specifically, but I mean, I'm curious, Michael, did you, 
in watching this movie, and I don't want to get into it too much because Allison wasn't part of that episode, but like, did you hear people making the arguments that I made and suddenly like see your arguments in a different light? Yes and no. I think this is a different context than the episode that we're talking about, though I, again, allow that... You know what? I'm going to stop speaking in code. Uh, Allison, <laughs> so what we're talking about is uh, <clears throat> we had a strong disagreement about on the Call Me By Your Name episode about uh, the questions of consent, about the questions of how we viewed elio and oliver's uh relationship and this was something like age and power dynamics and stuff like that yeah in terms of age of power dynamics um and so the the thing about the tale for me is i mean one i i think it it should be said and i granted i am not trying to poison the water here but we are in one film talking about a 13 year old and in another talking about a 17 year old that does not mean that those power dynamics don't exist because to be fair i it, i don't think it's a, a huge stretch to see some of the same things in how bill talks to uh jenny and how uh oliver talks to elio again uh, brian i understand that we disagree on aspect of the Yes, we do agree is I can grant that there is ambiguity that in Call Me By Your Name, there is a possibility that later on Elio would consider his relationship with Oliver something that was um, abusive or scarring or however you'd like to define that. The tale, I think, is objectively from the beginning – a story of abuse that we're seeing. Um, and, and while we're seeing Laura Dern come to terms with that, the entire film is played as that being abuse from the very beginning. Well, yeah, I mean, Just, this, there's a lot in this movie that is above and beyond anything that sure. I would even try to say happens in Call Me By Your Name. For instance, like, yeah. it's a spider's web, basically. And we find out that, well, I don't know, are we having a spoiler section in this? That feels kind of glib for this movie, but I feel like it might still be necessary. I feel like the specific plot element that you're talking about is worth considering. I mean, spoiler sounds so tawdry, yeah. but it's like yeah. because it's sort of an additional layer mm-hmm. um, and one of the more upsetting layers, I feel like that's worth holding back for people who are planning on watching the film, for, okay. for my opinion. Yeah, no, I, I mm-hmm. agree. So anyway, I, I'll just say like, if Call Me By Your Name is a three, this movie is a full-on fucking 11 um, in terms of, like, this is just a monstrous case of abuse that is that is horrifying to, to, to look at. But, like, I just, I think that for me personally, for my own mental health, it was refreshing to see this movie just, like, you know, there's a point where Common, like, because she keeps saying it was the 70s, it was different. And Common's like, 70s, 80s, it doesn't matter. By the way, her fiance is played by Common. Um, Just so that we know why she's talking to Common. But it, was I the only person who, when I first saw him, I was like, is that fucking Common? 
Um, I knew he was in it, so oh, I did okay. not have that reaction. Because uh, I just like I enjoy Common as an actor, but I guess I wasn't expecting him to see in this movie. I'm not sure I ever expect to see him in any movie, but I'm always like a little bit happy and charmed whenever he comes onto the screen. So the one break in like my coiled tension was when Common walks in. I was like, oh my god, it's Common. And then every time he was on screen, I had to physically stop myself from saying, hey, it's Common. But he says, like, you know, 70s, 80s, it doesn't matter. Like, that's abuse. And I was like, thank you for including the 80s Common because I had some trouble with that. And I just, like, it, I it's it's just... I don't know. It's nice to like coming off of Call Me By Your Name. It's nice to come to a movie that like, while obviously not the exact same thing, like gives me a little bit of vindication or comes down a little on my side that like, you know, in the in the end of the day, a teenager is a child and you people people won't look at that as like, oh, no, that's a relationship. It's like, no, that's fucking abuse. And it's weird that you keep calling it a relationship and call him your boyfriend. But it's, I don't know how much we should get into this. I don't know how much we want to relitigate this. Right, um, no, I'm, not, I'm not trying to. But like for me, there's an added layer of enjoying this movie. I, enjoying is probably the wrong word. But like I got something out of this movie just insofar as like its clear-eyed view of the way that she isn't viewing herself as a victim and the movie doesn't try to make her view herself as a victim, which I think is like a bold, powerful and emotionally true choice, but it can still say that like what happened was wrong. Um, I obviously wasn't a part of this conversation, (laughs) but I feel like um, it's, there are all kinds of differences that we probably can't or shouldn't get into. Right. Um, I, the difference in age being one of them, the difference in agency being another, um, sure. like the question of consent, there's, there's elicited consent. There's, um, a like failure to receive consent. And then there's open and enthusiastic consent. And, it doesn't make it less complicated, but it is sort of a factor. Um, but for me, a big difference with call me by your name is that, um, that film is also from Elio's perspective and it doesn't seem to require that kind of investigation into whether or not he was coerced into a sexual relationship with an older man. I also on a personal note had a conversation, um, I must've been like 18 and just an idiot, um, (laughs) with, uh, with a friend, I might've been a little bit older than that. Um, but coming from a relatively small town, not having any idea about my own sexual identity at the time, had a conversation with a similarly aged college friend from a different town who was telling me about his first sexual experience when he was 15 and the person that he was with was 19 or 20 and I was shocked and horrified and wanted to know if he was okay. And he ever told it, had he ever told his parents? And he was like, <laughs> well, no, that it was awesome. And that's like part of how it works for gay men, not all gay men, but a lot of gay men sure. start to figure out who they are by meeting slightly older young men who know who they are and experimenting with them. 
who's like, oh, okay, I just like put a whole bunch of stuff on you that you didn't want and you don't see and like attempted to put my own view of sexuality and development on to someone who didn't want it. That was horrifying. And I was mortified. I mean, that's that's kind of what this movie, what what Laura Dern's character, the older Jennifer, seems to be trying to say to everyone in her life. Well, except for that, the difference here is that is that Jennifer Fox, age 48, wrote a story when she was Jenny Fox, age 13, framing something that happened to her that clearly she some part of her body understood to be wrong and abusive. And in sort of investing in that story. She then lived it for the rest of her life, assuming that's why one of the things that I think is so brilliant about this film is the very early trick of having young Jenny be played by a, by an older girl, by someone who appears to be 15, 16, maybe 17, Mm -hmm. um, only to have her go and see her mother and then see a picture of her age, 13 and then to see all of those memories again with a 13 year old. And I feel like if, if call me by your name made the same choice, then it would absolutely be a horrifying film about childhood abuse, but childhood sexual abuse. Um, and I think that it, that call me by your name is complicated, but in a way that it isn't complicated for Elio, whereas the tale is uncomplicated in terms of what happened and is only complicated in terms of her experience, her processing, her experience, her lived experience, what it means to her as an adult, what it means to her mother to a certain extent. So I don't know. I hadn't thought we were going to be talking about call me by your name. So I don't know that I came with like my note cards ready. (laughs) Um, But uh, yeah, I think, I think personally that there is quite a lot of difference, but I can also see how you could sort of connect the two. Yeah, I mean, it's it's a spectrum. I'm not saying that, like, they're both the same shade, but on they are both on that spectrum. One of them much more, like, violently Vanta Black than the other one, which is a lot more gray. Did my Vanta Black reference not land? Do people know what that is? I, I don't. Oh, that's the black that's so black that it doesn't let light out? Oh, okay. Yeah, it was created by a company. Anyway, super interesting. Look it up on Google. There's videos. Um, so yeah, I mean, my my one my one point in bringing it up is just that like, uh, there's I I appreciate what this movie does in terms of showing how a memory that you've held that that becomes an experience that you believe you've had can can shift and be warped by people putting their their own image on it and making you self-interrogate it i mean the movie is nothing if not like a delving into memory that kind of like reveals the truth behind the stories that we tell to keep ourselves going forward and it's i think it's pulled off at least in a very interesting way even though there's like i you know there's some little cliche things in this movie that i think are necessary and done very well but like i could feel them happening like the fact that she teaches documentary and documentary filmmaking and like every once in a while she'll have a class where she seems to like explicate exactly what she is then going to try to do later in the film yeah i think i think there is a lot to come from her 
her role as a documentarian, especially the way that it uh, returns to her, you know, at her like editing suite, like as she's using final uh, final cut and just like listening to, um, you know, clips from totally different contexts. I think it's actually clips from another film she made uh, called uh, Flying Confessions of a Free Woman, which is nearly like a, a four hour uh, documentary series about um, about uh, women and their experience with sexuality. So it's I, I really want to see it. I, I haven't. I was actually looking to see if I could find it anywhere. <coughs> Excuse me, um, but it doesn't seem like it's available anywhere. But I did find it fascinating that I'm pretty sure those clips are from that. Uh, and, and there is, I think, an, a really interesting juxtaposition. Uh, the way that not only not only is it um, Brian, you already mentioned how she doesn't paint herself as a victim, but I think that simultaneously a really interesting part of her character is that it was also a part of her healthy sexual growth in the sense that she was fine. Like her mom calls her promiscuous for instance. Mm -hmm. But the fact was that she did have a string of relationships that like exist separately from the reason why she didn't get married or uh, have children or something like that. That is something that can be considered a factor. But I think what this film does, that's really interesting. And that again, leads into her own role as a documentarian is uh, the way that those things are. Um, you know, I literally forget the meaning of mutually exclusive every time. So I'm not going to say that <laughs> just so that all of those things can exist together, but are simultaneously existing or excuse me, <laughs> can exist together, but can also be separated as like individual parts of her identity. I'm curious if, you know, hearing hearing her mother talk about her her past sexual history, uh, her promiscuity and like sleeping with married men and then. Oh, shit, this is kind of a spoiler. Um, But like <laughs> but like also then like kind of her interrogating like the fact that she never got married and never had children. Like, do you think that those are wholly removed from what happened to her or do you feel like that's. I don't want to call it damage, but like the lingering impact of, of what she went through. Like, do you think that the movie, do either of you think that the movie is like making a claim as to one way or the other? I think it's unfair to assume one way or the other. And I think that there's a way to project it, but I think it simplifies her in a way that's kind of unfair. See, that's not what I took from it at all. I feel like what it's saying is that one of the things that this experience, I won't say person, whatever, that this, that this running coach and that the experience overall took from her is the ability to trust that any of the decisions she's made in her life about sex or about love or about marriage or about children, having children were healthy ones. She can no longer assume that these were choices that she made because it's what she wanted. Right. She is forced to question whether or not the things that she did were the result of this horrific world altering experience. Uh, and I think that there are two sequences that kind of underline that for me. The first is in one of those documentary classes, which worked incredibly well for me because it, to me, it felt like 
the most brilliant thing about this film is the way that it didn't even sort of loosely try to disguise the fact that it's autobiographical at all. You know, Mm -hmm. like another rendition of this, it would have been instead of a documentarian, it's a novelist, you know what I mean? Or if I was reading a book, then it would be a playwright. Or if it's a playwright, then he would have been a journalist. Like it's like one degree removed in a way that's really obnoxious. Like why not just call it what it is? Um, And in this case, I feel like that's part of what makes it so effective because it is when you're watching it impossible to forget that Jennifer Fox is is watching Jennifer Fox do these things. So when Laura Dern's Jennifer Fox is interrogating her own memories, is interrogating the people in her life about her experiences, is teaching these classes, it's the the actual Jennifer Fox is behind the camera watching her do it, which makes it feel a little bit like the filmmaker is interrogating these memories in real time. Of course, that's not what happened. She had to write a screenplay. So we know that this is something that she went through in advance, but it feels as though it's a documentarian making a narrative feature to explore a past she can't reach because she doesn't have a time machine. You know what I mean? So when she's in this class talking to the student about her first sexual experience and what it was like, And when she's going through footage of a film she's making and stumbles onto a place when her own experiences colored the story she thought she was telling objectively, um, I, I found that very effective. And to me, that speaks to the idea that, that she's been making choices and living experiences her whole, basically her whole life, you know? for four fifths of her life without realizing the way that this experience altered the entire, every decision that she's made potentially about love or sex or children or marriage since then. Right. Um, I mean that, that scene that you bring up, I mean, I guess those two scenes um, are definitely like, you know, like I said, I had like a thing in my head when I was like, Oh, she's a documentary and she's teaching a documentary class and we're going to use it to, talk about what she has to do to her own life and like in a this is a movie so i was gonna say in a movie but in a purely fictionalized movie i would i would kind of let that slide but still feel like it was lazy it felt really weird to have it in here it just felt like a layer of scripted artifice that seemed to be missing everywhere else but that scene and i got over it i didn't care but that scene with that female student that she's having a conversation with was like wonderful and it was worth whatever like small itch of of artifice i felt previously to have that and then to have her go scrub through the previous thing that she had done and and hear her own words i mean like that whole dichotomy like that then seeing like the kind of fissure appear in her usually like laid-back facade about everything was like staggering like so i agree that that was like a super powerful well-done moment in this film can i bring up something hearing what you're saying and i'm i'm not sure why i interpreted this so i i didn't interpret it differently i i, I want to be clear that i i think that as you're saying allison especially as you were saying speaking to uh, the scene where she's talking to the student. And I think especially the ending kind of underlines the effects this abuse had on her. But I think there was something that I had difficulty in 
recognizing it as like totally as both of you did. Cause I, I think there was something I, I didn't personally like about this idea that her whole life would be defined by this abuse rather than a part of her to the point where like, you know, her promiscuity or sorry, I, I don't use the word promiscuity I, that this person's sexual experiences would then be entirely tainted felt like making that connection feels oddly retrograde to me i sorry i but i think that like, i hadn't any, thought about this yesterday but i'm any just, major experience just in your life is going to it may not actually but it will make you think that your every experience might be colored by it like yeah that's that, that is how i feel about it right, like bad bad but not not, not same but similar ish example that might be bad i had a my best friend who I had known since I was like six years old, kill himself. Um, and it was because of probably like in a six degrees of separation kind of way, something that I asked him to do. Um, and therefore every time that like I have allowed a friendship to die or like just drift apart and it hasn't really bothered me. There's like moments when I'm like awake at night and I see someone who I haven't spoken to in like five years post something on Facebook. And I'm like, we used to be such good friends. Uh, I wonder if I let them slip away because I'm worried about that happening again. And like, I don't want to have to deal with that. Like, I wonder if my impersonality with everyone in my life is a root of the fear of like catastrophic abandonment that's been put inside of me because my friend hung himself like, I don't want to hurt other people again through my, like, laziness and selfishness. And I don't want to be hurt by them, you know, taking their life. So, like, it's probably not. It's probably just that, like, he moved to Baltimore. I'm in Washington. We both have jobs. And we're just not seeing each other as often as we used to. But I can't trust that because there is a part of me that wonders, like, how fucked up am I? now like if if tony were still alive would i be like the guy who has like a weekend party every month that involves like 40 people who i've known for 10 years and i just don't know maybe not maybe i've always been a crabby isolationist bastard but like (laughs) it certainly didn't help so yeah, I don't think that it's like putting it all on that, but it is, as Allison said, mm. that uncertainty and the inability then to like trust that there hasn't been like an invisible string that's kept you, if not on a path, like from kept you from straying off that path too much. Yeah, I um, with like again, it's Memorial Day morning, so I don't, I like, I don't want, I don't want to end up. Just having this be all of us sort of trading these experiences that shaped us when we were children. But I have one. I have this like, um, I had this experience that is on a much smaller scale uh, where a couple of years ago through the course of seeing like a super excellent therapist who I really liked a lot, I realized that I have this memory of being a kid in a car in a parking lot at like three o'clock in the morning with my mother and my brother. And we were 
sort of hiding from our father who was an abusive alcoholic, whatever, blah, blah, blah. But um, in the memory, which is what was actually the thing that I had the big realization about, a cop came up and we were all scared and my mom got out and talked to him. And my memory is of being so relieved that the cop was so nice and let us go because we were going to get arrested because we were in this Myers parking lot. So he was such a nice man and it was so nice of him to let us go. When in reality, a cop talked to a woman who was hiding from her abusive husband with two crying children in a parking lot in a Myers at three o'clock in the morning and told her to go home. You know, and I didn't realize that that was what had happened until I was 30. And I think I was eight at the time, you know, and now and that's not the kind of thing where now I have to interrogate every relationship I've ever had in my entire life as a result of it. But it did. I have had to think about other experiences I've had where I have felt relief for not being caught in a situation where I wasn't doing anything wrong. Right. It's like, is, like, is this person forgiving me for my, the actions like driven by my fear or my emotions? Like, am I misplacing that and thinking that they've somehow helped? Like totally. Yeah. No, that's, yeah. that's, that's a, that that's, that's yeah, that, that I could see how that would be a life altering thing to realize. Yeah. And I think that part then that's part of what struck me about the film so much is we do, we tell ourselves when we're children, things that we need to think to survive, right? Like we tell ourselves that, um, that mommy and daddy are going to get back together. Or we tell ourselves that, um, you know, X, Y, and Z thing that happened is totally fine. And then there are little things that get blown up into horror shows, which doesn't mean they're not traumatic. You know what I mean? But like, I just have this incredibly upsetting memory as of a child of having this boy accuse me of stuffing my bra because I started getting boobs and it's mortifying. And every time I think about it, I get kind of upset. It was so humiliating. But then I have this memory of being in this parking lot with this cop and it's like, Oh, well, what a nice cop. You know what I mean? (laughs) Um, And And what what really resonated with me on that level is is that it would force you to ask those questions. It's not that I don't think Mm. the film says that Jennifer Fox was promiscuous as a teenager and a young woman and has never gotten married and has never had children because of this thing. I think what it says is that now she has now she will have to wonder forever whether or not she made those choices because she wanted to whether or not. And I think specifically Mm. the marriage one is interesting, right? It's whether did she never get married? Has she been engaged for three years to this man who obviously loves her, who she obviously loves has is the reason that they've never gotten married because they're taking their time and because there's no rush is the reason she never married anyone before because she didn't want to, because she valued her independence or is it because her running coach told her that marriage was selling out as he was figuring out the way to best physically and sexually abuse her as a child mm-hmm. that she was told to sort of worship this man and God, the touch where they where they all have to call him Naga is so yeah. amazing. Is that, is that a word that means anything? I didn't look it up. Uh, I didn't either. I wanted to forget about it as soon as I heard it. Uh, it's the North American grappling associate. Oh, here we go. A serpent deity in Buddhist, Hindu, and something of mythology. God, that's terrible. Jeez. <laughs> um, 
Uh, that's. I wish I didn't know that. Well, Ooh. we could always um, just assume it's the North American Grappling Association, though that uh, <laughs> parallel is not any better, really. Um, yeah, it literally means snake. In Sanskrit? Yeah, obviously you and I just both Googled Naga. <laughs> yeah. Um, superhuman and serpent, they're genii of water. I just wish I didn't know that. I really wish I didn't know that. Okay. Um, yeah, anyway, that was a horrifying touch. Yeah. Um, yeah, no, that was weird. And it's also weird. Uh, so, so just, just to wrap up the, uh, the question of, you know, what, like she can't trust herself. There is a scene wherein she is directly interrogating her younger self and her younger self in her mind in this moment is a lot more, I don't, she, she almost comes off as sinister just because in all of her memories, she's a very quiet, unassuming young woman. And in yeah. this, because it's like a projection of her previous self and the story that she's had to tell herself becomes a lot more defensive. And she says, like, I don't want to get married. I don't want to have kids. Like, kids are stupid. And it's, it's, it, she, she kind of comes off as like the lady doth protest too much. Like, it does feel like, it's like, it, it's any time that you're trying to like argue with a child about um why they shouldn't do something. And their response is, well, I don't care about that consequence because I want that to happen. And it's like, oh, really? Yeah, you want to get a stain on the carpet? It's like, yeah, the carpet looks stupid. I want to get a stain on the carpet. <laughs> it's like, all right, fine, Liam. Um, <laughs> it's, uh, and it's really, it's, it's a really interesting scene that I think bolsters uh, the point that Allison made that I, that I agreed with regarding, you know, it, it's not a direct A to B correlation, but it does make one wonder and then that can have its own deleterious effect. Um, should we get into spoilers or is there more stuff that we would like to talk about before we talk about, I guess the, the places that this movie goes with everything. Oh, I don't know. I think <laughs> let's, let's just get into it. Just because I, we've been talking for so long already, we might as well get into spoilers. Yeah. Yeah. So, I would just say like, everybody should watch it and then you can come back and listen. Like I, I, it doesn't sound like we're selling this movie particularly hard as like an enjoyable experience because it's not, yeah. but I think it's an important experience. So sure. maybe go watch it and then come back. No, it is. It, and I will say that, um, it was, it, it was interesting. It was interesting. It was horrifying. And then, illuminatory if that's a word which i'm just gonna assume it is um to watch this with my wife because after it was over we kind of sat in silence for like nine to ten minutes and then she was talking about the ways in which and this is something that i've also heard you know to a lesser and and i guess like less immediate in terms of like uh it, with less immediacy just because we hadn't seen a movie that was right about it, but from a lot of my female friends about like the first time that like a man looked at them like that. And it's, it's just, it's just horrifying. Um, the ways that like these stories come out, uh, someone, I think it was on Twitter actually had like said like, what was the first time that you felt objectified by a man and just scrolling through all the people that were responding to it. It's like, it's, it's horrifying. And it's, 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 it's weird to then 
see the same kind of defensive mechanisms that are employed by Jennifer Fox in this movie, you know, at first where it's like, well, I was 13, but I'm going to picture myself as I was at 15 because then at least I can sort of understand it. And so I think the movie is like an essential important film, but it also could be like an interesting catalyst for a lot of dark painful conversations that you know at least for me as a man like i never had i never had to fucking worry about any of that stuff no one ever no no one ever looked at me like that when i was a child um and so it's it's one it's this movie that kind kind of helped to you know art is like an empathy machine it helps you to like understand things that you don't have an experience of and i think that this definitely definitely does that so it might be an as as hard of an experience as it may be it may also be enriching am i out of line in saying that um no i don't think so i i think that's sort of what i mean when i say i think it's a really important experience for people to have because it's it's really i think it's really rare in that it is centered on the victim but it's not about the it's not about at its core the horrors of her experience the experience Mm -hmm. is a horror but it is about her understanding of her experience and her processing it and um it's not like a like a a survivor story it's not the kind of movie that ends with wrapped in a blanket in the back of an ambulance you know Uh, But it also doesn't end with her like standing in a cemetery, looking down at a grave and finding a way to reach forgiveness. You know what I mean? Like it's Mm. a very it's a relatively short period of time in which she's delving into this. Um, It's a little the timeline is a little foggy, but you get the sense that it's, you know, weeks, maybe at most one or two months that she's digging into this. Um and then obviously it leaps back to this summer and the and this fall when she was a child, but because it's so centered on her and not on being either horrifying or inspirational, but just on her, I think it is really important because it doesn't it's not about the act. It's about the person yeah. who experienced it and and how she processes it when confronting it years later as an adult. And that is incredibly rare. And I think super important, which doesn't mean those other stories can't also be important, but, um, but this feels, um, like a very significant film for me. And I hope that people watch it and I'm sorry for the upsetting experience they're going to have, but I think it's a good upsetting experience to have. Right. I think it's, it's like, you know, tempering steel through fire like every once in a while you have to you have to stare into something awful in order to like come to understand that and then be able to like maybe speak more eloquently or emotionally intelligently to someone who has gone through it or even just to understand them a little more and to see why these things are important yeah just I, I'm sorry, I just want to reiterate, because I thought what Allison said was so great there is like, you know, it's, um, as Allison was saying, it's so rare that we see a movie that is actually about an experience without it being defined by, you know, the violence and conflict. I mean, we see so many movies, especially set in uh, 
impoverished milieus where characters seem to just be kicked over and over and over again. And we're supposed to get something out of that without actually understanding anything about them. And I think, um, you, you know, like as much as we're talking about as an endurance test, um, I'm sorry, Alison, I'm totally just repeating what you said, but I'm just, <laughs> but I'm just saying, yeah, like this is, this is again, the rare story that, that doesn't feel like that is about sexual abuse that doesn't feel miserableist and like wallowing in that abuse. Like, right. yes, it's, it shows it, it but it's because... not about it. Yeah, it's an endurance test because it is a horrible thing to witness, but I don't think it was crafted as an endurance test. Exactly. <laughs> Excuse me. Exactly. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, so let's talk spoilers, uh, which is really just like, let's just dive deeper into the plot, uh, both of the film and against this girl. Um, the, I guess the, it's it strikes me as... Like one of the things that I think hit me hardest in this movie, aside from that sudden change of the the character from being, I guess, portrayed by a 15 year old to being portrayed by an 11 year old. um, I found out that the actress who played her at 13 was 11. So like the, 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 the prepubescent or the postpubescent to prepubescent shift was like, I like hurt seeing that suddenly happen. And I think that that was, both probably true to the experience that she had gone through, but also like a fucking horrifying way to drive home the true monstrosity of this. But like also just when I realized that she somehow as an adult seemed to still think that like it was just her and to like suddenly have to reckon with the fact that like this happened to a lot of other people. Um, I mean, I was expecting that and it was, it was shocking to me that like she hadn't. And I think that that spoke a lot about the way that she viewed the experience, you know, uh, incorrectly. (laughs) Like was, was anyone like, I guess uh, the way to put it would be like, were any of you expecting that she would be the only one and that this was like a real quote unquote relationship or like were you too like waiting for the moment when it was revealed that like this was a systematic abuse of like a number of people I think in most in most movies telling stories like this one there would have been like the horror montage when she's flipping through photos of all of these girls that look like her or something right and Mm -hmm. I think it's it's more interesting and more successful to leave that opened. Like the line that she has at the end of that incredibly cathartic, upsetting confrontation that she has with him um, as an adult played by John Hurd. Yeah. That right. I think it's his last role before he passed. Oh, I didn't realize he had. Oh God. Well, he's good. Um, Anyway, when she says what, none of the rest of you were coached by Bill. And then no one answers and we won't ever know. And probably she won't ever know. Uh, although who knows? I mean, maybe after the end of the film, what happens is that 
that confrontation allows other people to sort of examine their own memories and see if anything happened or I, I don't know. Um, I mean, yeah, but, this could be the moment that turns him into the uh, gymnastics ghost from Michigan. Yeah. Uh, I mean, yeah, God. Um, I think it's statistically, it's incredibly unlikely that she's the only one. Well, I mean, uh, we do know that he, that Iris was a part of it, but she was a college aged person, mm-hmm. which, you know, still not, great but at least not 13 and and so yeah i mean like just just i don't know that scene with iris um i think is one of the most upsetting and complicated scenes in the movie i'm gonna say upsetting and complicated a lot because they're just the most useful words to talk about the tale but that realization when there's this memory that either she had forgotten about or had somehow blocked or repressed mm-hmm. and it comes back to her. And then she realizes the implications of it and says, my students are that age now and realizes that, but for her, uh, but for Jenny getting sick and being unable slash unwilling to go to this, hotel god nightmare hotel room dalliance with three adults one of whom is college aged and um i mean is almost certainly being coerced even if she's quote-unquote legal um that if it weren't for the fact that she's sick that that would have happened that they would have gone and that she would have been and not just a person who sort of sat by and maybe ignored what was happening in front of her eyes, but who actively participated in it or who might have actively participated in it is because she seems like a perfectly nice person. And I have no doubt that like, she's a good teacher who does not abuse her students, but in her past that now she also has to interrogate and she has to dig into and sort of examine her own, complicity and it's so brief but i really appreciate that there is that there are two characters i guess in this film who do actually who are forced to sort of look at the way that they behaved in this situation and ask what what role did i play in it and it's iris and then jennifer's mother um i don't i don't think we've already said this ellen Weston in this movie fantastic yeah really good I I saw her in it and I was like, Oh my God. And she's just, she's, she, she's really good at, um, especially in this movie. Like, uh, she, she portrays this kind of, like she calls and she's like crying. And I, I was like, Oh man, this whole movie is going to be like her having to deal with her like stricken mother. And then when she finally calls her mother, her mother has already gone into like detective mode Mm -hmm. and is like, kind of trying to make up for her lack of action in the past. And I loved just her in this movie as, as both like a presence and a character, just like the, everything that she's doing to reckon with her own, not probably not. Well, I guess complicity through inaction, but also just like in helping to support and even prod on her daughter. The part where she asks if she's wearing a wire is amazing too. Yeah. <laughs> I I think that the scenes with Ellen Burstyn and Laura Dern keep this movie from being so bleak as to be 
completely unwatchable. I, mm-hmm. like you, I also was able to take a break as I was watching it. I actually watched the first half, turned it off, went to bed and finished watching it in the morning. So I took the, a break of several hours, um, which I think was good for me. Um, but part of what I appreciate about it is that by the time, as you said, by the time Jennifer actually is face to face with her mother, she's gone into action, but it's both direct and kind of gentle and a little wry. There's like, um, it's not jocularity by any stretch, but there's like a a sense of comfort between these two people. I absolutely bought that they were mother and daughter and it's not hysterical. It's very grounded and certainly emotionally fraught, but it doesn't, but there are occasional moments of something that might sort of possibly in another movie be considered levity. And and I found those very welcome. Well, it's like in Manchester by the sea where it's like the movie is not a comedy, but it has moments of being funny because like in life, even during tragedy, people sometimes strive to be funny. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And, um, yeah, I mean, just, I, I, I enjoy the way that this movie deals with and explores memory. Like when she suddenly is talking to Iris, I, I was, I was a little confused at first. Cause I was like, does she know everything that she is accusing her of? Or is she just trying to like poke her to tr- like uh, one of my favorite tropes in a noir detective story? is when the detective doesn't know anything, but he'll pretend that he does. And then, like, the guy who's beating the shit out of him will be like, that's not what's going on, you idiot. This is what's going on. And so I wasn't sure if that's what she was doing. Um, And then to to realize that, like, it was all true and to see, like, the way that she had written about it and everything was just, like, stomach-turning. Like, it's, it's... And it was interesting to see Iris who was, if not an abuser, like a, a probable third abuser, like for her to realize like, oh, wow, you were only 13. Like, I don't remember it that way. And like you said, when she kind of has that self-realization of like, that's how old my students are now. Like, just truly dark, chilling stuff. Yeah. I think it's... uh. I, I think someone already mentioned Elizabeth Debicki, but I think uh, the Elizabeth Debicki and then Francis Conroy as the older Mrs. G two is such a feels weird to say clever uh, as such a clever construction uh, in the way that uh, Debicki's like you know her kind of self possessed exterior gives way to Conroy's like you know, um, very guarded, (laughs) very guarded, like, but also extremely tired. Like, like just the way that that character is constructed in both ways. And the fact that, um, neither of those sides give catharsis to Jenny as trying to understand that situation. Like even, even her final, like defeated, you know, I was getting older, like, um, sorry, it's right near the end where she's like, you know, I was getting older. Bill wasn't interested in me. 
like even that line, which is, you know, horrifying on its head, even has strange implications when you think about this abuser worrying about like hitting the twilight of her time as an abuser. Like yeah. just the, the level of um, depth and like care they give to both versions of that character um, was something I wasn't expecting and like, was like pleasantly surprised. Okay. Words are hard to use with this movie. Um, Yeah. Like I just, I felt like this is, this is a really weird way to talk about this dramatically, but even when you consider someone like Iris again, uh, Brian, you already mentioned like, or I don't know if it was Allison, it might have been you who's saying that she's probably a great teacher, that, that she doesn't Allison. abuse any of her students. I think and she's like, probably a terrible teacher. <laughs> um, and I think I think it's like really re- refreshing to see a film that doesn't make that a domino effect about abuse. That abuse isn't something that abuse begets more abuse, it begets more abuse. Because I think that's something we see a lot in art because it's it's easier to rationalize and unpack and dissect than the possibility of, you know, repression and um, making mistakes that haunt you for the rest of your life. Like I, I just the fact that this movie doesn't simplify any of those incredibly complicated characters while still recognizing the horror, I think is just such an achievement that we so rarely see in stories like this mm-hmm. I, about trauma. I guess I, when I say stories like this stories of trauma, Yeah, I agree. I, um, I think if there's like a way to distill the, the thing that makes this film so successful to me, it's that it never opts for the simpler answer when there's a more complicated one. There is one thing that this movie is absolutely unambiguous about, and it is that Jenny Fox was abused as a child, was sexually abused as a child. And I suppose the second one would be that her writing teacher was, if not a part of, because I think it is a little foggy on whether or not she's actually a part of the abuse sexually. Um, There's, you know, like those scenes are a little hazy and I think intentionally so, um, but is at the very least active in the creation of this incredibly abusive environment and, and helps to bring it about. Those things are unambiguous. Almost everything else, there's another wrinkle, you know, like the, like the detail of her remembering that her grandmother saw them kissing and then she didn't tell her mother and we'll never know why. Presumably her grandmother is dead, right? Like there's no conversation sure. with her grandmother. We'll never know why. We'll never know. There's the, um, uh, the question gets raised about what made both of both the running coach and Mrs. G the way that they are. Um, 
the Bill's response as an adult is incredibly predictable in just turning it on her and projecting it all on her in a way that we see abusers do all the time. Um, and I feel like that was a place where the familiar note was absolutely the one to hit because that's just what happens, right? Like you asked for it is a horrifyingly common sentence. Um, but with Mrs. G it's, both implied and directly suggested that to make her the way that she is. And while she's not dead, presumably like Jennifer's grandmother, um, we'll never know because she's not talking. And those scenes with Frances Conroy, where she tries to engage with her on them are such nightmares because there, we don't know, is this, is this person just a monster? Was she, abused in a way that it was she somehow being abused by bill in like a different kind con- we just will never know um and i think the the questions that can't be answered either because there isn't a simple answer or because that information is just lost to jennifer and therefore to us are the thing that make this so successful. I said it was going to be a simple sentence and it's not but i like i'll return if there's a more complicated answer it never opts for the simple one. And I think that that is a really brave thing for this film to do. Yeah. Cause Mrs. G, I mean, the only answers that she really gets are from when she's thinking, like when she's talking to the younger Mrs. G in her own mind mm-hmm. and you know, she says like, what are you kidding? Of course there were others. And also like, I couldn't keep up with him anymore. You know, the older I got, I could barely keep up with him back then. And, you know, like, it just kind of like says, like, I didn't, like, this wasn't my idea. I didn't get him to do this. He got me to do it. And yeah, I mean, that's all. It's, it's interesting how the power dynamics shift just based on how she observes them. Like, as a child, she like first became enamored with Mrs. G. And so of course, she would think that like, she was secretly orchestrating all of this. And it would take her a while to realize that, like, that probably wasn't the case. Mm-hmm. It's um, it's uh, it's uh, it's dark. <laughs> you see that in a pretty interesting scene. I'm thinking about um, Bill. I, or, or, sorry, that Brian. I think that that illustrates what you're talking about is the one where it's Bill and then Mrs. G and Jenny and or sorry, now Bill, Mrs. G, Iris, and um, who was Jenny's? Oh, geez. I can't remember Jenny's friend. It's Franny. And what's the other – what is the other girl's name who she goes to see as an adult? Um, I, I, either way, the other young woman, Bill says to her like, oh, you're really uh, – you've lost a lot of weight and you're really um, like growing into your body. Or, or, I, I'm, I'm paraphrasing like you're, you're growing here. into a beautiful woman or something like that and it's – Yes. And the way that everybody – looks at her at that moment was like something where I was thinking about exactly what you're talking about, uh, Brian, like uh, that idea that bill is, but then to counter that, then you also have the very interesting, uh, last encounter, uh, that the young Jenny has with Mrs. G and bill over the phone where bill is crying and says, uh, you can't leave me. And Mrs. G is just like, okay, go pick up your horse. And and, and I thought combined with 
you know, how, uh, how they had ensnared her for so long and had these, you know, gaslighting techniques that that final sequence, um, was such a, was so contrary to that. I thought was another really interesting wrinkle as, uh, Allison was mentioning. Yeah. The, um, we haven't talked about Jason Ritter at all. I don't uh, want to. Like, <laughs> I think we've been avoiding it a little bit. Yeah. Um, He's so good <sighs> in his performance of a horribly creepy, just like, I mean, the fact that they call him Naga lets you know everything you got to know. It's, um, yeah, I feel like like Jason Ritter is probably not going to be be talked about um, for this movie in the way that he probably should be based on the quality of his performance, which I think is pretty exceptional Mm -hmm. um, because I just don't want him in my mind. Like I don't (laughs) want that character or any of the scenes involving him in my mind. And I, and that is uh, too bad because I think he does a really remarkable job because he doesn't thinking about that crying scene specifically, you can see sort of when he goes into like um, something that he's prepared. Right. And I, this is part of why I find it hard to believe that there aren't other people out there. Like the page that's fold down in the book of poems by Rumi, yeah. um, where he's like, he has a thing, he has a routine um, at the very least he's prepared for this one instance, but it doesn't feel like it's the first time this has ever happened. It feels like he has practiced um, and that is nightmarish. But then there are other times when, first of all, you can understand why it is that this child would feel comfortable around him and would want to specifically when they're running Um, like in the very early scenes when you first see Bill, um, you, I mean, Ritter, I don't know how he does it. It might just be context clues, but I feel like something is him. Like immediately I was like, nope, nope, bad, go away. No, no, you're, you're a nightmare. Go far away. Uh, even though everything he's doing is pretty mundane. Like he seems to, he's encouraging the girls and they're running and the Naga thing is really weird, but like, but what he is doing is makes sense. Um, and because Ritter plays him as a charming, warm person who then does horrific things, um, you're not able to sort of discount him as a monster because he looks just like people you would have met in your own life. You know what I mean? Like that's sort of, it's like, it's like a reverse little children almost where you have to, Think of God. What is his name? Jackie Earl Haley. Jackie Earl Haley. Thank you. Um, Where part of the point there is that he looks like a monster. He sounds like a monster and maybe he is, but he is also a person and you're sort of forced to confront the humanity of this character. And this Mm -hmm. is kind of the opposite. Like you're unable to forget the humanity of this character because he looks just like, a running coach and he sounds just like a running coach and he seems like a totally decent guy until he's just not. Um, and I think it's, I am, it was a brave job that he took. Um, it was brave of him to take it. And I think it is a great performance (laughs) and I just don't want it anywhere near my brain. (laughs) That's the, that's the thing is like when 
whenever you're a so like I had a I had a friend in college who like wanted to be a teacher and he at some point like just came up to me and he's like I'm I'm changing my major I don't want to be a teacher anymore and I was like all right cuz I didn't care um but like later on finally I you know we were talking about it and he's like yeah man like if you're a guy and you want to go into early childhood education people just assume you're a pedophile and like I don't fucking need that in my life and I was like are you serious and he said, yeah. And I think it's it's weird because, like, seeing a movie like this, you're like, oh, yeah, this guy is, like, taking interest in these girls. That's creepy. But it's like that can be done in a healthy way. And this guy knows that and is using that as, like, an in. And that is kind of, like, what poisons the well. Because, like, if enough – if like, the way to help to coach and teach a child is – also an extremely effective way to like to 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 get them to trust you enough that you can do something like this to them it's it's and the way that Ritter plays that I think I I wonder if I didn't know anything about this movie and where it was going like if I just saw like his scenes clipped out and laid down chronologically if I would have seen it coming because I think the context of the movie I immediately was like ugh. This fucking smiling, bright-eyed son of a bitch with his sweaters. But, like, I wonder I wonder if, like, I would have been able to sniff that out at first, not knowing what was coming. Because that's kind of how good his performance is. Like, he doesn't lean into the... He's always just this side of appropriate until he's not. And it's in a very disconcerting way. I think it's a, a credit to the direction too that um, those scenes go on for a long time before they become well not okay before they become explicitly inappropriate in the in the sense that I'm saying that you know for instance the first time she stays over at at Bill's house that's something where you know something is coming but the way that's directed it, it, it's very there's a, there's a steadiness to it. There is, there's a way that it really just kind of sinks where it becomes really horrible. Like I, 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 I could say that watching it, I was consciously aware that, um, I, I was looking over to, uh, my girlfriend on the couch and I was just, I, I could just tell my eyes were like, and we, we kind of like, you know, made eye contact with each other. Like we both know what's coming. We don't want it to come, but we both know it's coming. And that's, that's a credit to Jennifer Fox's direction. That's a credit to Isabel, uh, Nelise's and Isabel Nelise and, um, Jason Ritter's performance that all of those don't, you know, that it, it does take its time and that it does, have set the stage as a as a memory not as a gotcha moment yeah i mean this is just just to just to pull us back and and remind us that this is a movie do we think like is this going to be one of those performances that like hurts his career in some way because we'll never be able to look at him the same way again or it's going to be hard to watch gravity falls again let me tell you that i do not watch gravity falls so i think this might be the first thing i've ever seen him in actually 
I wonder, I have absolutely seen him in things, but at the moment I can't really see anything but him just staring directly at the camera and haunting my dreams forever. Um, oh, God. So, yeah. Uh, um, the things that he... The things that he says during oh, those moments. It, it'll mean, be fun. He's on another period, and I hadn't even thought about the fact that he's on another period, but I'm just going to have to watch a lot of another period over the summer because I'm really behind, so I've got time. Um, <laughs> I have episodes to go through, and uh, and that will that will maybe help. If you've never seen that show, it's a delight. It's on Comedy Central, um, and it is vulgar and wonderful, and he's yeah, on that. To, so I'll maybe I'll just... Out watch that because like i mean so this movie has you know simulated sex between jason ritter's adult possibly 40 year old guy and and um and young jennifer and the, the the movie makes a point at the end to say like a body double was used which like yeah okay great but i still that's you know like special effects movie magic whatever i still in that moment was seeing him having sex with a 13 year old and like it's not lurid it's not like you know there for like an i spit on your grave type of exploitation but like holy shit like just i think it's important to show the the reality of it like it's easy because when whenever you i don't know whenever you hear like a teacher was arrested for sleeping with their student you kind of just have these two gray lumps in your head and like they're probably fully clothed and like you you just make it something that your brain can handle. And so seeing it helped to drive home exactly how traumatizing that could be for a person who has to live through it. Especially, I'm not going to quote any of it. You're welcome. Uh, but like every word out of his fucking mouth after a certain point is is like a thousand spiders crawling into the blood in your veins and just dicking around it's it's fucking awful and um again like you know congratulations to him that's a brave choice like you know a lot of people wouldn't want to do that and i think it's an important story and so i'm glad that he had that courage but holy fuck like jesus nah man <laughs> Yep. (laughs) Oh, Oh, boy. I feel like people would understand if we just stopped for a minute and like played yakety sax and then came back. We don't we shouldn't. I was Um, about to say I could do that. Uh... (laughs) But it would it would be easy to forgive if we needed to like walk it off for a second because God, it's upsetting. Um, Oh, it's just really upsetting. On that note, uh, is there anything else that we'd like to talk about regarding this movie? <laughs> I don't want this to just become like, let's talk about the parade of horrors. Uh, I, I feel like we've given each actor their 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 due and proper, and um, you know, I think that like a, a lot of this movie boils down to the emotional impact of of the visceral horror of watching it, and then you know, everything that you'll be able to, to talk about afterwards with the the people who you've seen it with. And again, that's kind of where the power comes from is like being able to have those conversations and like really, really dig into what it all means. I would briefly like to talk about it being on television. 
and whether we have any thoughts about it being on television and not in movie theaters. Like I said, I think I'm, I'm happy that we were able to pause it and take a walk. Um, I think that like, I can't see this being successful in theaters. Um, and I think that in a way I'm, I'm glad that it's on HBO because it was given, you know, the, the kind of like proper release that you'd expect, but just like at the home box office instead of the movie box office and you'll have it and you can, you can watch it whenever you're, you're good and ready for it. Because I think that like, this is the type of movie that a lot of people would probably walk out of and HBO allows you to come back to it when you feel like you're ready. Whereas if you're in a movie theater, you know, you've missed it. Um, so from a business perspective, I think that this is probably their best option. Hmm. Yeah, I um, I was sort of initially I was a little bit bummed when I was thinking about um, the level of attention it's likely to get uh, just because I mean, certainly I cannot imagine that this isn't going to be nominated for a just a whole bunch of Emmys in, you know, a month basically is when the Emmy nominations come out. Um, but it's not going to get the same sort of level of cultural cachet, I guess it's unlikely to anyway, without doing the, the traditional Oscars slalom, um, at the end of the year. But at the same time, I wonder if it's not more valuable as a thing that people will find on HBO Go for years without it vanishing into the mist one day, um, without it sitting behind a pay $7 to rent for one night paywall on Amazon or something. Uh, because I really do think that this is a movie that all kinds of people should should see. There was a great piece and I think it was deadline and I will put this somewhere on my Twitter page. Once I find it, once we're off the air um, where Jennifer Fox was specifically writing about why she wanted to make this movie and what she hopes it does next. And specifically about how they hope the producers in HBO hope it's going to be useful as an educational tool, which sounds like the worst class period I can possibly imagine. <laughs> but, <laughs> like a really like a really thing probably specifically for for educators for people who are going into psychology for trauma counselors mm-hmm. um and i think that that's incredibly useful so it's so it's there in that respect and um and on a purely practical level i'm also really glad that i was able to pause it you know in a theater you don't it's an upside sometimes that you don't have the luxury of pausing it and walking away. Um, but here I feel like maybe that's for the best. I feel like being able to stop and separate myself from the experience for a minute was valuable to my viewing experience. I think that, that it resonated more with me because I didn't feel like I was in, during it quite so much because I was able to take a break from it and return to it in the morning. Yeah. I, I do have to, I do have to say, I think if it was in the theaters, it would have the possibility of being subsumed into the me too conversation in a way that would, um, wouldn't give it its due. 
Um, and I granted, I have seen some people relate this to me too um, before I saw it, and now after I see it, I I, I do vaguely see the resemblance, but um, that that I guess is my worry about a theater, and I think you guys are right that there is something very useful about this as a conversation piece. Though I think um, there, I, you know, it's not obviously the same as walking out of a theater, but there might be a few people who opt out of an experience that begins with two different, you know, with a content warning and, and a discretionary, uh, I forgot what the discretionary message at the beginning is, but I think it's uh, disturbing sexual material or something along those lines. Yeah, so this tale is based on filmmaker jennifer fox's own experiences and then it says it contains blah blah blah. viewer discretion is advised um but yeah the first part of that second call out is that it's based on her own experiences which i also think is really important yeah because this could this could easily you know people would say something like oh my god like why would someone think of this and make this but like knowing, knowing that contextual layer that it is from her own experiences and i think only only just i think if this were completely made up by the end of it all of my my thoughts on it would still be the same uh just because it's really well made and it's well written and the characters are really well drawn but i think that it helps going in to know that this is someone who actually went through this it's it's a it's like a fulcrum you can kind of hinge yourself on to help to help understand why on earth you're watching this yeah i think it it sort of removes the potential argument that somebody might have about it being like shock value for shock value's sake yeah Uh, and like keeping it at arm's length in that way by saying oh well why would anyone tell a story like that that's so monstrous why on earth would you tell a story like this one and the answer is because it happened to me um and i i appreciate it from that respect the call out and the thing that i would like to talk about before we wrap up um or before if either of you have other things um is the credits because i was i feel like it was so the way that the the sort of end title and the credits were handled um was so effective and smart and like just right in the most again upsetting way um first the the fact that they knew enough and i don't know if this was included in the film when it was at sundance or if it's something that was added on for hbo but that they include that title card with a call out that an adult body double was used mm-hmm. um mm-hmm. because i breathed an enormous like an actual literal sigh of relief when i saw that um i didn't realize that that was a thing i was worried about but i'm incredibly glad that they disclosed that so that anybody who was even if they didn't realize they were worried about this young performer um anyone that was can be reassured about that because then it also underlines the importance of something like that and realizing that like when we watch stories like this where there are young characters put into nightmarish situations that that could potentially be scarring for them and that there's a responsibility on the part of the filmmakers to make sure they're taking care of these young artists working for them. Um, So I really appreciated that. But then the choice to have the credits fall on top of 
photos of Jenny Fox as a young person and what I assume are actual pages from her story. Mm -hmm. Um, It looked just, I mean, they looked like the kind of credit, I mean, they look like the credits for book club. You know what I mean? Like they look like the sort of, or like a league of their own, like a, like a nostalgic trip down memory lane. And then you see these snapshots. Um, And instead it was just, this quiet assertion, this quiet reminder that this is real. This really happened. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, and without being ostentatious about it, I guess, um, I, it was like the perfect capper, I guess, to an experience that already had profoundly affected me. Um, it reminded me a bit of the end of spotlight when it ends with just that list of names. Yeah. Um, yeah, but I'm curious to know what you guys thought about both that disclaimer and the and the photos and the the, the stories. I was um I, I did I I thought the disclaimer was fine. I think that that helps people to get over the movie and and get into like what it's trying to say, um, which is good. The photos I I wasn't sure if they were the real photos or not. Um, you know, I thought maybe they were just photographs like you know i i it took me i think a little too long to realize that that was actually her because she looks nothing like laura dern or uh isabel <laughs> nalise so i was like who is this person <laughs> and and then i finally like read one of the handwritten things at the bottom and i was like oh that's her gotcha 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 but by that point i think i was like i i just had been like okay so yeah it's about memory so they're showing old photographs Huh. Yeah, I don't know. Uh, the the only the the, e- the easy fix to that that would have been totally inappropriate for this movie is to do what they did in like Argo, where you show the actor and the real person next to each other. But like again, completely inappropriate for this particular movie. But like, I I don't know. I I didn't I didn't really require something to like remind me that it was real because I think the whole time I was just like, oh my god, this actually happened. I think that, uh, yeah, I think the disclaimer, again, as both of you said, was useful and necessary, especially, um, yeah, to finally get, like, any taste of the possible exploitation out of it. Um, But, yeah, those credits uh, I liked because it allowed me a little bit to meditate on whether I wanted this as a documentary instead um because you know i think there was a way to tell this story in a similar way to something to like uh sarah polly's like stories we tell um granted that's very very different subject matter but um it for me i thought it was interesting seeing those pictures because it did again allow me to think about you know how some of these methods could have been used in more archival or interview ways, which to be fair, it doesn't seem like the participants would be willing to talk about it. But again, I guess the, um, I think that final touch is something that again, grounds it in, um, and reminds us that this is, a documentarian and just as the film showed a lot of evidence of someone who is playing with um, objective and subjective truth 
finally showing that is a is a good thing to leave the viewer with to like scrape away not scrape away but to show something that has no ambiguity all right well that is the end of our review of the tale uh it's currently available for streaming on hbo now hbo go uh so check it out um again a a difficult but not exploitatively so movie but uh one that's definitely worth seeing one that's worth uh watching and 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 talking about and turning over in your head um before we go uh let me remind everyone to go to patreon.com slash the film stage show and give us your money also uh you can uh find us on twitter at film stage show facebook the film stage show we as always are brought to you by movie the online streaming cinema you get a new film each day for movie and you have 30 days to watch so you have a constantly rotating selection of films to check out they have some great stuff on there right now, and uh, it's uh, just about vacation time, Memorial Day weekend and all that. So if you are on the go and won't be near any Wi-Fi, Mubi actually lets you download movies to your cellular device or your tablet or whatever so that you can watch them on the go. So it's perfect for road trips and vacations where you don't want to talk to anyone. Go to mubi.com slash filmstage for your free 30-day trial. Again, that is mubi.com slash filmstage. Allison Shoemaker, thank you so much for joining us once again. Uh, thanks for having me. Absolutely. Um, why don't you kick us off and tell the fine people where you can be found between now and the next time? Uh, you can find me on Twitter at Allison Shoe. You can find things that I write uh, a bunch of places. Um, mostly Consequence of Sound, where my, most of my coverage there is TV-related, which I guess this sort of is too. So you can find my review of The Tale at consequenceofsound.net, as well as rogerebert.com and avclub.com. You can also hear me on the podcasts Podlander Drunkcast and Outlander Podcast, which is exactly what it sounds like, and TV Party, and we're on Twitter there, at TVPartyCOS. All right. Michael Snydell. Uh, you can find me on Twitter at, at Snydell and uh, on Letterboxd. Okay. Uh, you can find me on Twitter at Brian J. Rowan. My personal site, dearfilm.net. Uh, really every everything, every possible social media network is just at Brian J. Rowan. I was lucky. I got my name everywhere. And of course, you can find uh, me writing in all of the episodes of the Film Stage Show at filmstage.com. So ladies and gentlemen, thank you so much for joining us and tune in next time. I put the pedal to the floor.